welcome to Your Business Greatness. I am your host, Simone Sloan, the Executive Strategist, and really our mission here is to educate business owners, professionals, the community at large. Welcome, everyone. Our next speaker describes herself as passionate, empathic, and visionary. Her name is Dr. Donna Dimitri Friedman, Executive Director of Mosaic Mental Health, Adjunct Associate Professor at NYU, Mother Infant Microanalyst, trained by Dr. Beatrice Beebe, graduate of the Annie Bergman Parent Infant Program, co-editor of the Attachment-Based Clinical Work with Children and Adolescents, and recipient of the Outstanding Alumina Award at NYU Emily Fenical Award from Zero to Three. Welcome, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And now we shared, you know, I like sharing the accomplishments of our guests because I think it's really important to share those wins. But I also would love for you to share a little bit about who you are in your journey as part of just being a human being in this world. Thank you. Well, I would describe myself as a Sicilian American woman from the oldest seaport in America, Boston, Massachusetts, home of Coda, Manchester by the Sea and the Perfect Storm, and Captain's Courageous. I'm a first-generation college and doctoral graduate, a mother, a clinician, a professor, a researcher, author, leader, a businesswoman, and proud to say, an activist. Donna, thank you so much for sharing who you are and all the multitudes of accomplishments that you have earned and garnered throughout your professional career. And I'm just curious to to learn more about the most proudest professional moment. I would say I was really thinking about this because there have been a number of them, but I would say that my proudest professional moment was when I was defending my doctoral dissertation and my committee asked me what I was going to do with my doctoral knowledge in early childhood development. And my response was that I wanted to create a baby institute at Mosaic Mental Health, where I had been working for many years, and to the underserved community that Mosaic serves. And I'm proud to say I did that. And we are one of the few organizations in New York City that do uh, caregiver infant and toddler treatment. And that was something, as I have been working over the years as a clinician, felt really strongly about trying to prevent some of the challenges that we see for our community later in life. And so I would say that that was a really proud moment for me to take my knowledge and actually put it into practice for a community that's in such great need of this type of service. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and thriving. And you've got lots of um, uh, people coming and you're serving as part of that. Yes. And and one of one of our success stories, which I'll tell you about later, is about one such family um, and work that's being continued since then. I got my doctorate in 2005. Mm -hmm. And so we've been doing this work now for for quite some time. And it's very, uh, very exciting and rewarding and important work. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and it's really vitally important to share the work that you're doing and the services that you're providing as part of um, this awareness. But the flip coin to that, too, and thanks so much for sharing, is when you look at the, the toughest moments of your professional career, what did that look like? 
So I would say the most challenging was March of 2020. And we all faced the unfathomable onset of COVID-19. But what many people don't realize is that in the earliest days of the pandemic, there was some of the first cases, there were some of the first cases of COVID right across the street from where Mosaic is located in the Bronx. And it became very clear to me very quickly how serious this problem was for us. and. I had to, with very little direction, figure out what we were going to do to continue to serve our community. And we very rapidly pivoted to telehealth. And this was before we were given a waiver from the state, before people were really recognizing and realizing how severe and long-term this was going to be. And we did that. And as a result, we're really the first clinic in New York City to be providing these services remotely. And it was a challenge because a lot of our clients only have landline telephones and many don't have internet or computers. So it was really an old fashioned telephone call. And we actually executed it very well. It was really, really stressful because This was happening all at once. So everyone was trying to figure out what they were going to do. And we were fortunate enough to get it off the ground and were featured on CBS Sunday morning as a result. And really then became, I became one of the spokespeople in New York City to talk about how we were going to deal with the pandemic from an emotional standpoint. And the word spread. And soon we were being interviewed by the New York Times and the Daily News and NPR and really sharing how important getting and maintaining these services were. And then funding was cut and we had to pivot and really pull together as a team. So I would say this is past two years have been the most challenging but most rewarding because we've done it and we never closed any of our services throughout. That was really dynamic to really hear about how quickly your organization was to pivot in this new space where funding was still trying to be fleshed out and to to be figured out. And from that perspective, just in terms of seeing the need and reacting rather quickly to that need. Yes, and we we realized that regardless of the funding, we had a, a task to do, and that was to keep providing support to our clients. And in some cases, we also collected food and medicines. It was really a crisis, and we rose to the occasion, but it was really challenging personally and professionally. And it just really amplifies the need for the services that you provide in the mental health space. It's that it's so critical. But as you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And as we forge through that, I just wanted to share just in terms of how it's now being included as part of the sustainable development goals. But still, there is the stigma around it, right? Because a part of reducing the stigma is talking about it. Human rights violations that continue to people's experience around the globe and discrimination that takes place because there's just a plain lack of understanding. And so then the understanding the needs of what what it takes to support people with mental health issues and recognizing the access to care that is more than needed in this space. 
Yes. So we Mosaic has been around for a long time. We we started a very small grassroots practice in 1959 when deinstitutionalization was happening and very proud to say that we grew from a two-person practice to over 60 staff serving folks from infancy all the way to old age and everything in between. And really, our mission has been to remain a a small, nimble organization that's rooted in the community, serving the diverse community that we are in and providing a range of mental health services from people dealing with anxiety and depression to more serious conditions of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, major depression. And we really have expanded the breadth and range of services that we provide. Hence our name. We really are a mosaic of staff. We are a mosaic of community members that we serve. And we have housing and crisis services, as well as psychotherapy and medication management. And as I mentioned earlier, this early childhood program that really gets to a preventative piece of of mental health challenges. One of the things that we've learned is that the social determinants to mental health are significant. So poverty is a, a major factor in people's propensity toward having challenges. And we really pride ourselves in trying to understand where people are coming from and meet them where they are. The Bronx is the poorest community almost in the nation. 59% of the folks who live in the Bronx live below the poverty line and are Medicaid recipients. And housing is a huge challenge in New York. So we provide also supported and supportive apartments to people with mental illness. The other thing that we have done to really challenge the stigma of mental health, 20% of our workforce are people with a lived mental health experience. And our crisis respite is a 10-bed house in our community that provides people with an alternative, a short-term alternative to being hospitalized. And hospitalization is probably the single most significant factor to stigmatization when you are in need of those services to have to be hospitalized is is a very traumatic event. And so we we really have focused on integrating our care and providing a integrity for the folks that we serve and also promise and hope to the people who are coming to us because they see people with chronic mental illness working and helping others. And so it's not only a safe haven and a place to heal, but it's a place to feel hopeful about one's own future. And that's something that we really feel so strongly about. I love that because then they also see how we have mental illness as well. We can connect to you. We understand in terms of the journey and the struggles that you're going with, but we also can help and be that support and pillar underneath. So that's a great, that's, that's really wonderful in terms of incorporating every different perspective around mental health, because it does take multiple perspectives, right, to really understand it. When you look at it from the, and you've said it's been around for a long time, and I'm just curious around some of the challenges that um, might present themselves as you're in this space working with mental health and the, the types of people that you're working with, the groups who are serving. So I just, I would love to hear that. Sure. So, you know, one of the things, and I'll use the, the pandemic as an example, you know, some of the folks that 
we serve take public transportation to come to us. They are folks who some of them are living in our housing programs. And so their access to health and mental health care is very limited given their ability to travel and their resources. So we are in the community. This was something that we really felt very, very strongly about. And and so over a decade ago, we began to provide services in the community. For example, we have a geriatric program where one of our staff goes into the community centers and the senior centers and screens people for depression and helps older folks find us, but we find them in their community. Similarly, we have spaces like our schools where we provide services so that we are able to find people where they are tell them about who we are, and sometimes we'll provide the service in the community or help them to get to us. And one of the biggest challenges that we face is funding, being able to adequately fund what is needed. And despite the fact that everybody's talking about mental health and the mental health needs, they've been there for a very long time for folks who have chronic mental illness or who are impoverished and living in communities where there's violence food, poverty, and lack of educational opportunities. So we we do a whole range of things. We have a vocational program that helps folks look into their own skill set and help find them jobs that are supported so that we empower people to know that they can work with a mental illness. We also do a lot of work in the substance use disorder area. As we all know, we have an opioid crisis And we currently have an outreach program where we are finding folks in the community who need help with Medicaid-assisted treatment for opioid addiction. And very proud to say that we are trying to be part of the solution with that crisis as well. Lots of opportunities. And the bottom line really is the bottom line. We, We are a behavioral health practice, and people sometimes think that because we get reimbursed and we can bill for our services that they adequately provide what we need. There's a lot of unreimbursed work that goes into what we do. And that is one of the challenges that we face. Got it. And so do you find that people are aware of the the work that you're doing as well in terms of the awareness within the communities? I think that there is a gap. We don't have marketing budgets. We try to do public relations and we have been successful with that. But we have encountered folks that didn't know we were here and we try very hard to use the the spaces that we create. We do an annual 5K in Van Cortlandt Park and we invite community members. We invite our clients and our board members and our staff. And it's a coming together of all of the stakeholders, our legislators, and we try very hard to spread the word that we are here and ready, willing, and able to help folks. And that's part of the community outreach that we do. We partner with our other community services, the neighborhood houses in the community, the YMCA, the churches, the synagogues, and let people know that we are here. That's that's great. The community outreach is, is very important, vital for that re- outreach. And I'm just curious when you think about the the residents, the, the the clients who need this service, how receptive are they to receiving 
I would say that we have done a really good job of welcoming people, providing services in Spanish, helping people with all various abilities to come to us to find help and hope. Certainly this podcast and a few weeks ago, I was on BronxNet, which is a local television station. The Riverdale Press, which is our local newspaper, highlighted our 5K. So we, we, do, we do let people know that we're out there and our clients are very grateful and very receptive. And word of mouth is one of our greatest marketing tools because we serve, in many cases, entire families will come to us. And we have something called a family support center where we have groups for parents and their children of all ages. And that's been a wonderful program that has Some of the kids, they were toddlers when they started, and now they're going off to college and and they write to us and let us know how much we've helped them and share their successes with us. Nice, nice. No, I think that that sounds great because you provide this nice wraparound of different services and really thinking about the communities and the needs and not saying, hey, we don't offer this, why not? And then looking at what else can we be doing? So it's it's a really nice wraparound. You mentioned success stories, and I kind of wanted you to share one, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. just in terms of the, within Mosaic and, and mental health and the work that you're doing. I'd love to hear it. Yes. we One in particular that I'm especially proud of, my deputy executive director, Myra Estrada Cruz, is a, a wonderful clinician and leader. And during the pandemic, a, a vulnerable, lovely young mother came to us in need of help for the fact that she had her baby removed from her care. She had been diagnosed with a more severe mental illness than she actually had. And this baby was put into foster care and um, previously had struggled with a range of other issues. And Myra stepped up and took her on as a client and during the pandemic saw her in person and really connected with her. Myra is a Latina and our client is an African-American woman with four children, a single mom. And in the course of 18 months working with Myra and working with Mosaic, this mom has gotten all of her children back. And the uh, it makes me want to cry to think that against all odds, and I will tell you that Myra went above and beyond and you know worked with the court and worked with a range of other systems, um, which is often the case when we're working with families. And I'm proud to say that this family it has come together and I had the privilege of meeting them not too long ago. And Myra has many talents, one of which is she plays the guitar and sings. And this little baby watching him smiling at her and singing along and looking at his mommy is just about the most beautiful image you can imagine. The reunification of families when appropriate is, I would say, one of our greatest pleasures and joys. And for me personally to have facilitated Myra's training over the years in this space and then to have her 
as a leader, knowing that no one else was working in person during the pandemic, step up and do that is nothing short of remarkable. But to what it shows us all is that there's an ingredient in here that is called love. And we are, yes, clinicians. Yes, we are leaders. Yes, we are businesswomen, all of these things. But at the core of it, we are kind. And that comes through. Absolutely. Because that story shows about the dedication to the work and to the people that you're serving, but also the care, right? And in those needs where people need the advocacy, the support that's necessary around this and, and stepping up and leading in that way and saying, hey, consistently, we're here for you and we've got your back. And that's all people need, right? Yes. The validation that Myra was able to give to this mother around her own, you know, anger at how she was misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And we know that this is a story we have heard over and over again from people of color, moms, Black mothers, and we have to be with them and be a voice for them and with them. And so it wasn't like we took over, we were right beside her, but we gave her, and one of the things she said to Myra, which was so incredible was, I I feel like you're the first person in my life who has really seen me. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We want to be seen for who we truly are and what we are truly capable of. Absolutely. And it goes back to the whole inclusion piece about feeling welcomed and valued and respected and heard, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Continue the great work. And within that, I'd love to hear any words of wisdom that you have for other organizations in your space, caregivers, I would say, <laughs> yes, I would say that this is this is something I came by the other day and it really resonated for me. And it's it's not just about the work we do. It's about life in general. And it is the biggest communication problem is that we do not listen to understand. We often listen to reply. And when you're listening to reply, you're not really taking in who that other human being is and all that they are bringing to you and the relationship. At the end of the day, it really is about, our work is about relationships Mm -hmm. and truly listening to people and having them feel heard. Um, and, and that's a, and that's a, a pearl of wisdom that we all should be using every day in every relationship that we, that we have. I love it. I love it. <laughs> How can people contact you or seeking, who are seeking support, may want to volunteer or even donate? Yes. So we have a website. It's mosaicmh.org. And our phone number is 718-796-5300. But if you go to the website, there is a place to donate. There's a place to contact us. We have an email address and we welcome volunteers. We welcome the financial support and we welcome clients from all walks of life. And we do serve the Bronx, Southern Westchester and Northern Manhattan because we are located in the Northwest Bronx. So we are uniquely positioned to really offer services to a wide range of folks in a wide geography. Great, great, great. Thank you so much, Donna, for your time and sharing you and sharing the work that you're doing with Mosaic Mental Health. And I just love the heart that you bring to everything that you do in this space. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I have stayed with Mosaic for 30 years, and it's because of that heart and the feeling and growth that I've been able to experience there as a professional. So thank you so much, Simone. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you for joining us on Your Business Greatness. I am your host, Simone Sloan, and love to see you next time.